I invite you to turn in the Word of God to Psalm 128. Psalm 128, you'll find it on page 657 in the Pew Bibles. Psalm 127, sorry, 128. A song of ascents. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. That's the reading of God's Word. Let's pray together. Our gracious Father, unless you come by the power of your Holy Spirit and breathe upon your Word, it will just be human words of no effect having no lasting benefit. And so we covet the presence of the Spirit, and we ask that you would encourage us and refresh us in your grace so that we might live our lives in joy for your praise and glory. Amen. I'm sure I'm not alone if I say that there are some texts in the Bible that give me pause. Sometimes it's because I understand them that they give me some uncomfortableness. But then there are other passages of the Scripture that I understand all too well, but I can't quite figure out whether or not I should be preaching it. That's certainly the case with Psalm 128 for most of my ministry, I never preached a sermon on it. I never chose it to be sung in corporate worship because I wasn't exactly sure what one should do with Psalm 128. You say, well, that's quite peculiar because it's a rather simple psalm. And I say, indeed, it is. God promises that the one who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways, will be blessed with work, with wife, and with weans. Weans is an old English form of uh, a word meaning children, and because it matches the work and the wife, I thought I would use it this evening. And so the Lord promises the one who fears the Lord, work a wife and weans. But it's precisely that simplicity that gave me such difficulty, because I know men and women who fear the Lord and who have not received these blessings from him. I know of men who perhaps would love to be married, but the Lord has not given them a wife, nor has he given them children. And I'm sure you know young couples as well, or perhaps you are that young couple whom you know, whom the Lord has withheld children from. And so how can this psalm be applicable in this day and age, and how are we to understand it? I think about that older gentleman in Scotland who has now gone to his eternal reward, but he was a man of particular integrity, of spiritual sensitivity, 
who was always speaking about the things of the Lord and pressed books on me whenever I would visit him because he had such a desire for the promotion of Christ's kingdom. And yet he was a bachelor. He had no wife and he had no children. And there are other young couples that you know as well who fear the Lord, and yet the Lord in his wisdom has withheld from them children. So for many years, I thought that the psalm, I didn't really believe this because God is never like this, but I thought that this psalm seemed a little bit cruel, particularly to those from whom God has withheld the blessings that are promised in this psalm. And then a number of years ago, I was forced to to, uh, study this psalm and to preach it at a midweek service. And it was a blessing to do that because I had to struggle with what God was saying here in His Word. And I think I came to some helpful conclusions that I want to bring to your attention this evening. So the psalm is the blessing of the Lord on everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. The first thing I want to point out is that when the Lord speaks about the blessings, he is speaking about an ideal life. What he's doing here is he's taken us back before sin entered the world and brought about such devastation. He's taken us back to the creation when everything was good, when, when Adam and Eve feared the Lord and walked in his ways. And when you look at what Adam experienced and you notice what gifts God had given to Adam in that place of Edenic blessing, then you will understand what the psalmist is doing here. Because what was it that God gave to Adam? You remember that Adam, after Adam and Eve had been created in Genesis 1, the Lord said that, or the Bible says that God blessed them. Well, what is the blessing? What was the reward of blessing that that God showered upon our first parents in the Garden of Eden? Well, first of all, he gave Adam work. You can see this in Genesis 2, uh, where he talks about the garden that was created. And then it says in Genesis 2, verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. So our first parents, the man who feared the Lord, was blessed in the garden with the gift of work. And those of us who are engaged in work, or perhaps it's better to say those of us who've had the experience of having no work know what a blessing work is, what a gift from God to be engaged in something that is meaningful and productive, that brings honor and glory to him and blessing to others. So God gave Adam work. Secondly, God gave Adam a wife. You remember how Adam had to name all the animals, and as the animals paraded before him, it says there in Genesis that there was no helper suitable found for the man. And so we read that God made him a helper fit for him. He caused Adam to fall into sleep, took out one of his ribs, and from that rib formed a woman and gave her to Adam. So there in the Garden of Eden was the first wedding ceremony. Who gives this woman to this man? And God says, I give this woman to this man. And, and what a, a joy and delight was experienced by Adam. When he sees Eve, 
his wife. He breaks out into song. This is at last, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called a woman because she was taken out of man. And so the Lord in his kindness blessed Adam, the man who feared the Lord, who walked in his ways, with a wife. Bless him with work, bless him with a wife, and then blessed him in the third place with weans, with children. Now, of course, we don't know. There's no record in uh, the Scriptures that Adam and Eve ever had children in the Garden of Eden. Perhaps they had fallen out of grace by then. Uh, But anyway, there certainly was the possibility and the potential and the prospect of having children. In fact, God had said when He blessed them in Genesis 1.28, He had told them to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living creature that moves on the earth. And so this was one of the third, one of the blessings, the third blessing that God showered upon Adam and Eve in the garden, the prospect and possibility of having children. But we know what happened. Sin entered in and ruined everything. There came about such a profound devastation that the gifts of God are hardly recognizable anymore, though by the mercy of God they remain. So Adam still had work. But the work now that, was, that he was engaged in was going to be thwarted. The ground was cursed because of sin, and he would have thorns and thistles to contend with. By the sweat of his face, he should eat bread. So Adam was still going to work. That gift was not completely taken away, but it was marred by human sin. Adam did not fear the Lord, did not walk in his ways, rebelled against his Creator, and the gift of work was marred. And similarly, you see that within the the marriage relationship between Adam and Eve. Yes, they remained marriage, but, but certainly there was tension, the joy and exhilaration that Adam experienced when God brought Eve to him in the first place was quickly changed after the fall. In fact, God, when Adam and Eve hid from God in the garden, God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I have commanded you not to eat? And the man, Adam, said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the fruit of the tree, and I ate. And so that marriage relationship was marred by sin. It was, it was Eve who took of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, ate, and then gave to her husband Adam to eat. And, and Adam, instead of taking full responsibility for his foolishness and his disobedience, blamed his wife Eve. And so the gift of wife was marred by human sin. And similarly, the gift of children. They would still have children, but it would be in childbearing that Eve, or in pain that Eve would have children. And then what sadness those children brought into this world. So that we read in Genesis 4 that Cain, the son of Adam and Eve, rose up and killed his brother Abel. The gift of weans, of children, was marred and ruined by sin as well. And so here in Psalm 128, 
when the psalmist wants to paint a picture for us of the blessings that come upon those who fear the Lord and walk in His ways, what better colors to use than Edenic colors? What better place to go than than to go way back to the beginning before sin reared its ugly head and marred everything in its path? This is what the psalmist is doing. He's painting a picture of the ideal life, the blessings that accrue to those who serve the Lord. It's like there's no curse of sin whatsoever. It's like everything has been rolled back. And every man who fears the Lord receives work, wife, and weans out of the hand of a gracious God. It is a picture of the ideal life to draw for us the multifaceted blessings that God showers upon His people and what life would be like had the curse of sin never invaded creation and intruded in this beautiful life. And so it's an ideal picture. We shouldn't expect that every Christian believer will have work, wife, and weans. After all, no woman here who serves the Lord will ever receive a wife, nor is there marriage in heaven so that even that marriage relationship between a man and a woman is only a picture of something else because it ceases in heaven. And nor, sadly, does every married couple receive children from the hands of the Lord because that's not what's promised here. And it can be painful to couples if you think that's what's promised here. No, what's promised here is blessings, unmerited favor from God, showered upon us in His own wisdom according to His own generosity and given to those who fear the Lord. That's the ideal life that's being pictured here. Well, how do you get that ideal life, even if it doesn't match up in every point of detail with what we read here in Psalm 128? How do you get the blessing of the Lord? Well, it's pretty simple. Blessed is everyone, verse 1, who fears the Lord, who walks in His ways. Again, in verse 4, behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. And so the emphasis is on blessing, on the fear of the Lord, rather. Well, what is the fear of the Lord? There is, by the way, a very helpful book in the library called Rejoice with Trembling by Michael Reeves that you might want to sign out later on because it's a very helpful uh, discovery of what the fear of the Lord is. When we think of fear, we often think of terror or fright, and it's used that way in the Bible when speaking of unbelievers. Remember that haunting picture in Revelation 6 as, as the unbelievers call upon the rocks and hills to fall upon them because they're terrified of the wrath of God and of the Lamb. And unbelievers have every reason to be filled with terror because one day they will stand face to face with the God that they have spurned and the Christ that they have scorned. But it's often used in the context of believers, of those who know God, 
according to His grace and mercy. And in that context, fear can mean a number of things. It's actually a number of things that are joined together. It can be reverence and awe and being awestruck, being moved, being gripped, having a delight and love and joy in God. In fact, fear is all these good things that has an impact, effect on your body, so that it is really to fear the Lord is to rejoice with trembling, to be so in awe of the glory and majesty of God that you shake before Him, not in terror or fear, but in joy and indescribable delight. It's coming face to face with the God of greatness, the God of power who by all, by His Word has called all things into being, the God of purity before whom everyone is filthy. It's a recognition of God in His greatness and God in His grace, a God of kind compassion, a God of pardoning grace that, that leaves you rattled not because it's bad, but because it's so indescribably grand that you fear the Lord. You rejoice with trembling. And so the man who fears the Lord is blessed. But notice the other qualifier it puts in verse 1. The man is blessed who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. And of course, it, it has to be this way. You cannot have any genuine fear of the Lord that is any joyful, awe-inspiring, trembling before His majesty and goodness without a life that correspondingly lives for Him. It has to be that way. If you fear the Lord, you will walk in His ways. It's those who disregard the Lord, who think little of Him, or who think nothing of Him at all. They're, they're the ones who do not walk in His ways. They walk in their own ways because they haven't been gripped by the sheer wonder and glory of God. But if you are, then of course you will walk in His ways. You'll find His commandments a delight, His law no burden but a joy, because it will be your aim to please Him in every way. So, the blessing comes to those who fear the Lord and who walk in His ways. But, but I want to point out from the text that, that the emphasis is not on walking in His ways, but the emphasis is on fearing the Lord. That it's the inner disposition, the attitude of the heart before God that the psalmist wishes to highlight. Because he doesn't want you to think that it's by your obedience. You see, this, this is the problem with, with so much of theology today, particularly in uh, other countries. If you do the right thing, God is obligated to give you what you want. It's a form of prosperity gospel, and, and sometimes texts like this are used. If you fear the Lord and are obedient, He'll give you what you want. No, that's not the way it is at all. But He does promise blessing upon those whose heart is submissive to Him and who rejoice in His greatness and grace. Not because 
they fear the Lord. But those who fear the Lord will enjoy the favor and blessing of God. So the blessing is the ideal life. You receive the ideal life as you fear the Lord. And then thirdly, from where does the blessing come? Well, you see this in verse 5. The Lord bless you from Zion. If you notice at the top of the psalm here, it says that this is a song of ascents. It's a collection of psalms from Psalm 120 to Psalm 134 that the Israelites would sing on their way to Jerusalem in their annual pilgrimages. You'll know that uh, the men were commanded by God to travel up to Jerusalem three times, and, and sometimes families would come along with the men. But as they sang, as they walked, they would sing. And this is one of the songs they would sing. And Zion, of course, was the place where the temple was. It was where the sacrifices would be offered. A, a visual reminder that it was through the shedding of blood that sins are removed, that it was through the shedding of blood that the curse was reversed, and that uh, because of the shed blood, instead of God's wrath weighing heavily upon his people, his blessings would be showered upon them. That's what they were reminded of. Zion, the place of grace for the people of God. And as New Testament we believers, we, we know that this was all a picture pointing forward to the ultimate sacrifice, the self-giving of the Lord Jesus Christ, that sacrifice that would take away all cursing, the sacrifice that ensures the blessing of those who fear the Lord. And I want to just pause for just a brief moment to think about the Lord Jesus Christ. Because if there were any man who feared the Lord and who walked in his ways, it would be the Lord Jesus. He was born of a woman, born under the law, kept the law, was unstinting in his devotion to his heavenly Father. And here's the thing, yet, despite his obedience, he goes under the curse. He hangs on the cross. Remember that everyone who hangs on the cross is cursed by God. And you say, why? why? Why should this man who feared the Lord, who walked in his ways, why should he, instead of blessing, why should he receive cursing? Well, it's because he went as a substitute, as a representative of his own people. He wasn't cursed for his own sin. He had none. He had only blessing awaiting him. And yet he took upon himself the responsibility for our sins and therefore the, took upon himself the wrath of a holy God against sin so that through his sacrifice, the blessed who was cursed, the cursed might be blessed. And so Christ is the perfect man who was cursed. But, but then, but then I want you to think about Christ after after his sacrifice on the cross, after he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? After he said, into your hands, I commit my spirit. What did he then receive from his Father? What were the gifts entrusted to Christ as the man 
blessed who fear the Lord. Well, it wouldn't surprise you, would would it, if I told you there were three. There was, first of all, the blessing of work. Our Lord Jesus recognized after his death, he entered into the joy of his labors, that his work was not for nothing, that it wasn't a waste of time, that he didn't shed his blood to no purpose at all, but that he could be satisfied in the work that the Father had given him to give his life as a ransom for sinners. And from that time forward to the present time, our Lord Jesus at the right hand of the Father is enjoying his past labors on the cross and is engaged in present labors as he takes the blood that he shed on Calvary and applies it to the hearts and lives of his people. He received the blessing of work. And he received the blessing of a wife. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his own blood he bought her, and for her life he died. So that our Lord Jesus received from his heavenly Father the blessing of a wife. Now she's not much because you're the wife of Christ. The church is is not what it should be, but how our Lord Jesus delights in his bride, rejoices in the gift of the Father to him, who gives this woman to this man. The Father gave the church to his son. Why? Because he was the son who feared the Lord and who walked in his ways. What's the last gift? Weans children. And that's exactly what the Lord Jesus receives as well. You might remember what he says or what it says there in Hebrews 2 as it reflects on the ministry of Jesus Christ as our great high priest, as as the great worship leader. He's the one who preaches to the congregation. He's the one who sings God's praise along with us as we lift up our voices in praise to God. But he's also the one who presents us to the Father. And what does he say? He says, here am I and the children you have given me. So that Jesus Christ, the perfect man, the man who fully feared the Lord, who always walked in his ways, receives the blessing of work, wife, and weans. And it's through Jesus Christ that we receive every blessing as well. There's nothing that we get from God apart from Jesus Christ. The only thing we receive from God apart from Jesus Christ is the wrath and the curse. But if there's any blessing that we receive, it must come through Jesus Christ. It comes from Zion, the place of grace, It comes from the right hand of the Father where our Lord Jesus Christ is seated in majesty and glory, having completed the work of redemption for his people. And so if you wish to enjoy the ideal life, pictured here in terms of work, wife, and weans, but if you wish to enjoy the blessings of the Father, according to his own wisdom that he showers upon his children, the only way you get that 
is by taking the Lord Jesus Christ and receiving him by faith, embracing him, trusting in him as the only one who can reverse the curse and replace it with blessing in your life. Then the psalm ends, not so much with a prayer, may you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life, may you see your children's children, peace be upon Israel, so much as a statement of fact that this is true of all of God's people. They will enjoy every blessing and enjoy it eternally. And of course, as is common in the Old Testament, the blessings of God, the spiritual blessings of God are depicted in physical terms. And so the terms are the prosperity of Jerusalem, the city in the Middle East, and living long enough to see your children's children. That is, physical blessings that are indicative and pictures of eternal joys and pleasures and prosperities at the right hand of the Father for all eternity. That's what we have to look forward to, dear brothers and sisters. We have to have a head for what's ahead. We need to think of the blessings that God has promised to us and which will be enjoyed in fullness when Christ returns in glory at the end. Billy Joel sings this song. They say there's a heaven for those who will wait. Some say it's better, but I say it ain't. I'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints. Sinners are much more fun. Well, that is what an unbeliever would say. But what a believer would say, one who knows the Lord, who fears Him, who delights in Him, he would say, yes, there are tears in this life, loads of tears, sometimes because of, or always because of, the maiming and mutilation that sin has brought into the world, experienced in our our lives and in our families and in our workplaces. Yes, we cry, but let God be true and to every man a liar, including Billy Joel. And let us be convinced that everyone who fears the Lord is blessed by God, both now and forever. Let's pray. Our good and gracious God, we thank you for the clear ways you depict your blessings in terms that we can understand, in pictures that we can see. And we pray that you would give us grace, that we might trust in the Lord Jesus and be confident that you will withhold no good thing from those who love you, that every blessing that Christ has purchased will be ours in fullness at the end when Christ returns in glory. We thank you for the the joy of experiencing these blessings in part now, and we pray that you would give us grace to, to look forward to all that you have for us. We do pray for those who are saddened because they have no wife or have no husband, who are single and unhappily so. We pray for those who wish to have children but are either unmarried or 
in your providence. They have not yet received them from your hand. And we pray that you would give them grace to persevere, to keep trusting, to be confident that you make no mistakes, that you are always good, and that ultimately they will lack nothing with you as their good shepherd. And we pray these things in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.